0: Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner.
0: Hi, everyone. Some people have pet goldfish. Others have dogs and cats that they nurture and care for. But me, I have to be different. In the last few months, I've been learning a lot about soil science. And now my favorite little creatures are the beneficial microbes in our soils. Now, I don't love soil microbes because they're cute. I don't really know what they look like because these organisms are so small that you can't see them without a microscope. You can't pat microbes and they don't bark and they don't chase a stick, but they are so worth taking good care of and nurturing. And that's because soil microbes help us grow healthy plants and trees. Soil microbes include bacteria, fungi, and millions of other tiny organisms in the soil. And so that's what we're going to talk about in the show today. My guests are both from the University of Guelph in Ontario. They are Cameron Ogilvie, Knowledge Mobilization Coordinator at the University of Guelph. Hi, Cameron. Hi there. And we also have Carrie Dunfield. Canada Research Chair in Environmental Microbiology of Agroecosystems. Hi, Carrie. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have both of you on the show. Now, before we dive in, I'd love to hear from the listeners. So if you are listening to this show live, you can email in your questions or your comments during the live show. Or you can even just write us to say hi. If you do, we will enter you into today's contest to win this month's prize. And the prize is a University of Guelph hat and gardening trowel valued at $25. To enter the contest, just send us an email with your question or your comment or just saying hi to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. We really look forward to hearing from you. So now let's talk about soil bacteria and other soil microbes. So let's start with you, Cameron. I want to talk about what these creatures are. What are these organisms? What are soil microbes?
2: Yeah, so you've already mentioned a few of them, bacteria, fungi, fungi, whatever you'd like to call them. Um, but there's a, a bunch of other microorganisms. And really, we're just kind of categorizing them based on size. So these are organisms that are in the soil that we need a microscope to, to really look at and observe. There's Uh, We call them mesofauna or macrofauna, which are larger than that. But these are microfauna or microorganisms. They're the very small living things in the soil that really are responsible for a lot of the the major processes that we think about in soil.
0: It's interesting that you call them fauna. To me, fauna means they're little animals. Are they considered animals?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, a livestock below the soil surface
0: amazing so why is it that soil microbes are so important to gardeners and farmers
2: yeah soil microbes are really at the heart of the the major cycles that take place in soil so when you think of, about uh, nutrient cycling you know we can we can apply nutrients to our soil but there are a lot of nutrients that are um, that are already in the soil and microbes are a key part of of uh, breaking those down from the other parts that they're connected to and releasing them so that they're available for plants. Uh, Microbes are a a key part of um, diseases, but they're also an important part of creating a resilient microbial population that prevents disease outbreaks from occurring. Uh, So really there's a lot of things going on.
0: So essentially from what you're saying, I understand that microbes feed our plants for us. Absolutely. They feed our plants, and and we, if we're giving our plants synthetic fertilizers, so these are made in factories, um, yeah, sure, the plants can take those in, they're in liquid form, but there is so much, in, so many important nutrients in the soil. We can save money on fertilizer if we have a really beautiful, diverse microbe population.
2: That's right, and we're beginning to understand a little bit more about the capacity uh, that microbes have to supply those nutrients. Um, and some of what Carrie's working on right now.
0: So we'll talk to Carrie in just a moment. We're going to get the nitty gritty on what we're going to find in the soil. But first of all, Cameron, tell me about your bury your briefs work. Why yes. have you been, you know, what is the connection between soil microbes and farmers burying their underpants in the soil?
2: Yes, bear your briefs, soil your undies, whatever you want to call the campaign. It, it was actually started by a, a few Ontario farmers uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and I believe you got some photos that you were planning to share of Blake Vince, who's a very innovative, progressive Ontario farmer. Who's uh, who's done this uh, project himself. The idea is that underwear cotton underwear is, is really just made up of cotton fibers and, uh, those fibers, that cellulose can be broken down by microbes, different types of microbes. And so the, the goal of the, uh, the campaign was to get farmers thinking about the activity of the microbes in their soil. How much work are they doing to break down um, different types of material? Because as we were talking about earlier, microbes break down plant material or dead material and release nutrients from it. So you bury these briefs in the ground and uh, and you come back a couple months later and see how much of that underwear is left.
0: So let's have a look. We'll briefly put on for those of you who are watching on Facebook Live. We're going to put up a picture of Blake's underwear. This is before he planted it in the ground, buried it in the ground to test it out. So you've got a before picture. Blake is holding his undies and they are white and fresh so and he's in a field okay so now after that he buries the undies for a little while and digs them up in a couple of months let's have a look at what those underpants look like let's say two months later so that picture is going to come up on facebook live if you're watching it on facebook live And here it is, Blake with his underpants, and all you can see there is an elastic waistband, a little bit more. They look a little bit like a thong. It's all (laughs) gone. So for those of you who have seen that, um, so Cameron, help me understand, um, these creatures in the soil, they don't have teeth. How is it that they are tearing apart underpants and eating the bits?
2: Oh that that's a good question. Uh I'd love Carrie to chime in on that a little bit too. But part of part of what you might think about in the way that we di- digest food is yeah, we've got our teeth which which crush uh which crush our food and help break it down, but really like there's a lot of we call them enzymes in our saliva. So it's chemicals that we release which those chemicals are actually what's part of Allowing the food to break down in our mouths and in our digestive system and release those nutrients for us. And so, microbes do that as well. They release uh, chemicals, types of enzymes, which allow them to access the nutrients and the food that they're interested in.
0: So, Carrie, I'm going to get you to pop up and answer that question, as well as a question from James in Toronto Is there a correlation between soil microbes and earthworms? For example, if you have no earthworms, or very little, does it also mean less microbes? Right. So it's a tricky question. Um, Another way that people
3: look at soil health. So one of the ways is bury your underwear. But another thing that people suggest to do is to count earthworms with the idea that the number of earthworms in your soil indicates a healthy soil. The tricky part is some soils actually don't have a lot of earthworms in them natively. If you're in a forest uh, in Ontario, there's probably not very many earthworms so it just depends but it definitely is an indicator of um, higher soil biodiversity so it is another test to look at the microbes in your the earthworms in your soil
0: interesting also we have a question here from george i'm not sure where george is from one of you guys can take this question it's a good one what (laughs) about colored underwear not white
2: Mm. that's
0: from george
2: yeah good question Yeah, Then, then, go ahead, ahead, Carrie. Carrie.
3: Oh, (laughs) I think the original uh, experiment is with like cotton, no dyes, no. uh, So you want it to be white underwear. Um, I have seen people do experiments with pigments because there will be organisms that are breaking down those pigments. And it's kind of another test. But if you're actually going to do it in the soil to check out your activity, I would use white cotton breech.
0: So I'm going to go back to you uh Colin cuz I know that you've worked with farmers specifically on this. Does it ever happen that they bury the briefs, they bury their undies, and dig them uh dig them up a couple of months later and they are actually not eaten, they're their whole
2: <laughs> 100% and and the reasons for that uh can be varied. So as we as we're saying, in a sim, in simple terms, the this experiment should show how active the microbes are in the soil. And so presumably if you have a larger microbial population, you'll see more breakdown of that underwear. But microbes can be active or inactive for different reasons as well. So, Uh, If there's a limited amount of water in the soil, that will reduce microbial activity. If the temperatures are too hot or too cold, that's going to change which microbes are active. And uh, and so I, I knew a grower, for example, who planted a pair of underwear in a field that he thought was really good, really healthy. And just because of the season that he had, where it was a little bit drier, a little bit less rainfall, he didn't see the same breakdown that he was kind of expecting. So there's a lot of variables that play into how active microbes are in the soil.
0: So we have a question as well here from Chris from Toronto. What is the best way to make the soil habitable for the microbes? What should we be feeding the soil?
2: Great question. Yeah, so we we typically talk about five practices. I'll try to just run through them briefly. Number one is reduce disturbance. So minimize how much you're mixing up that soil. It's like a tornado coming through your house. It it, it breaks apart all the structure, uh, all those little homes that microbes have there. So reduce disturbance. Uh, rotate your crops really well. That provides different food sources sources for the microbes. Keep the soil covered. This is part of Insulating that soil, think about insulation on your house. It keeps your, your home temperature regulated. Microbes like to be regulated as well. Um, keep living roots in the ground as much as possible. This is part of good food sources for microbes. So the more, uh, the more time of the year you've got roots in the ground, Uh, the more those roots are releasing food material, feeding those microbes. And then the fifth is incorporating livestock, manures, compost, and other organic amendments. These are just other food sources for microbes.
0: Well, we have an email from John. Uh, So John says, hi, I wear boxers. Love the topic. Ha. (laughs) Hello to all. Thank you, John, for writing us. And I wonder if John is going to be running out to the garden to bury his briefs. So (laughs) we'll see. Um, So how do you feel that this campaign has given people a little more sensitivity to the importance or the role that microbes play? Do you think that they've been overlooked for a long time?
2: Mm. Yeah, so there's kind of... uh, you could maybe drum soil science down into three areas. So we talk about the the physical aspects of soil, the chemical aspects of soil, and the biological aspects of soil. And I'd say it hasn't been until the past 10, 20 years when we've really started talking about the biology. We We were big on soil structure, physical properties, big on the chemical properties, nutrients, and understanding things like this. And now we're getting into the living aspect of the soil, which really... The living aspect is is the reason why we've got the physical and the chemical things working properly.
0: So um, I put this on Facebook and uh, there was so much chatter about it. A lot of people, gardeners, fruit tree growers who wanted to try it. And there was a really interesting message from Dee from Wisconsin. So let's see what she wrote on Facebook. It's very common in farming, both dairy and crops, to do this. We haven't on our new farm yet, but we did on our last, and it was a great test. It's best to do it at regular intervals to track soil health and impact new or different methods on the soil. Um, She says, check out the studies on no till versus conventional tillage and cover cropping or no cover cropping. And she says, it's fascinating how much healthier one soil is over another. So um, yeah, and she says that you should dig them up in exactly thirty days. She says do one to three pairs per field to get a better understanding of our soil health across the farm. So this is no joke. Dia's from Wisconsin. <laughs> this isn't just in Ontario.
2: That's right. It 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 really has spread, and and it's it's elevated the conversation for sure.
0: Yeah, I think it's important. We have a question, live question from Facebook Live right now. And it's from Brent from Michigan. Hi, Brent. In my garden, I like to feed fungal and bacterial side of the soil in the fall. So I can keep an even balance between the two. I know veggies like more of the bacterial side. This is how I feed my bacterial side. It's with dried molasses and fungal with leaf mold. Tell me what you think. And Brent says, I have never buried my underwear.
2: <laughs> well, may, maybe Brent will be burying his underwear this summer. I'd be interested to follow up on that. But what he's talking about there is uh, molasses as a as a sugar source. Um, and, and so, yeah, the, I think the, the general idea that he's going off of is that bacteria maybe uh, feed off of some of those more readily available, uh, sugars. Um, so molasses would be an example. And then, um, leaf mold, I think he was saying for fungi, which tend to be a little bit longer. Um, uh, feel free to help me out, Carrie, with the word that I'm looking for, but
3: residence time, like it survives in the, the soil for a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. Anything? Or the
2: more difficult or the, the
0: longer. Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: matter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it sounds so... good.
0: Yeah. So Carrie, let's go over to you right now. We've been talking about um, we've been talking about fungi, we've been talking about bacteria. Let's start off with bacteria. Um, what are they? How are they different from fungi? And how are they helping us in the soil?
3: Right? Well, bacteria are probably my favorites. Um, because even they're really, really hard to study. But there's um like billions of them in every teaspoon of soil. So they're not just really abundant in your soil, but they're really diverse. So we think of um, bacteria as, as using sugars and we think of them one way, but they actually have a lot of different capabilities. So they actually can live without oxygen. Um, they can live with oxygen and they play a lot of different roles in the soil. So they do a lot of things like trans transformation of nitrogen and sulfur and phosphorus. And so um, because of their incredible diversity, they have like a lot of really key roles in the soil. So that's why they're really important.
0: So I just want to flag what you said, you said there are literally billions of -hmm. bacteria in one teaspoon of soil. That's right.
3: (laughs) Billions. And we don't, they're tricky too, because we don't, we can't name them and we can't see them. So we have to use kind of different techniques to be able to study them. So they're, and,
0: they're and what do these bacteria, if I were to say, what do they look like? What would you say? <laughs> I would say I could tell you what 1% of them look like, because
3: that's the amount that we can actually grow in the lab. Um, and then, and you can picture them. So you'll see little plates of bacteria. And they look circular when you grow them on agar and you can, you can visualize them, but those ones are, a very small fraction of, um, actual bacteria. So there's actually, you know, 90% of bacteria that we, we have a gene sequence for, but we have no idea what they look like and we've never grown them. So we're not sure what a lot of them look like.
0: Wow. Okay. We have an email from Laura. Um, so Laura writes, hi, do panties work? Hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) If they're cotton and white, sure. <laughs> if they're cotton and white, it'll work well. Well, and the okay. interesting
2: part about it is different types of underwear material is going to have uh, different types of fibers in it. Some of them are going to be thicker than others. Some will be more easily to break down than others. And so it, it's it, it's going to change the experiment a little bit. But
3: yeah, if you're going to put it in different fields, just make sure you use the same type of underwear. Right. <laughs> if you're going to compare
0: yeah, well, that's a really good point. So don't use your panties in one field and then your briefs, your husband's briefs in another. They don't have to be like um, brand new, do they? I, on Facebook, somebody <laughs> also said they have to be fruit of the loom and they have to be new.
2: <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So this is all just part, part of trying to make a consistent test that you can compare between different people. If you have uh, if you have old underwear, it's already going to be partially broken down. Uh it, maybe this freaks you out, but it's all also partially inoculated. You've got your own microbiome, which you're sloughing off onto your briefs that you're adding to the ground too. Um, So yeah, get a, get a nice clean pair, white, uh, fruit of the loom is great. Hanes, whatever, uh, any, any of those basic name brands.
0: Oh, well, thanks for finessing. I've got uh, somebody else on Facebook live. Let's see if I could find it enough Facebook on an earlier Facebook conversation. Uh, She writes here, um, Renata from Kentucky says, I've never heard of that, but it's fascinating. I'm going to have a rummage through my husband's underwear drawer as soon as he sets off for work. (laughs) (laughs)
3: It's a good way to get rid of some of them too. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Oh, there's the ones with the holes in them that I wish he would finally get rid of. Um, Okay, we're going to have a commercial break in just a moment, but we talked about bacteria. How are fungi different?
3: Well, fungi are really important um, in the soil, they're different, they, they, there's not as many of them in the soil as bacteria, but actually, because they have hyphae, so we picture them, you know, mushrooms are fungi, so they, they grow with this hyphal networks. they actually cover a huge amount of soil. So there's actually more biomass of fungi than there are bacteria, just because they're bigger. Um, and you know, one of the key differences is that they are aerobic, so they need oxygen all the time. So that's when you say you're aerating the soil. Fungi um, need to have oxygen to to grow, uh, whereas some bacteria don't, and that's kind of a big difference. And they're often they're uh, they're often growing on organic material, so
0: they're growing they're feeding off that organic matter. So those are some of the big differences. And yet they still do a similar type of good work. They're helping to process nutrients. um, And again, living symbiotically. So helping our, our plants and trees while the trees and plants help them. Yeah.
3: Yeah. They have some really cool relationships with plants that we sometimes hear about. So our muscular mycorrhizal fungi, which are AMS sometimes hear about mycorrhizae and they they have a really unique relationship with many plants where they're, Um, have a symbiotic relationship. So they get carbon from the plants, and they supply the plants with uh, nutrients and access to water, phosphorus, usually. Um, And so it's a really neat symbiosis that exists.
0: Amazing. Well, let's, uh, let's just take a moment. Um, After the break, I want to talk in more detail about this, this this entire world that exists this uh, ecosystem that exists in the soil and what these creatures are and what they do and how i'm going to nurture them and help <laughs> my fruit trees with their with their help um so are you guys okay waiting on the line for just a moment while we listen to a few words from the sponsors sounds good okay perfect well you are listening to the urban forestry radio show and Podcast. This show is going out on realityradio101.com and on Facebook Live on the Orchard People Facebook page. I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and we will be back right after the break.
4: Hey gardeners it's JJ here, your Aussie gardening expert. We all know young newly planted trees need to be watered deeply and regularly to kickstart growth. But correct irrigation just isn't as easy as you would think. Sprinklers waste bucket loads of water and they wet the leaves and branches which can result in the spread of nasty fungal diseases. At Greenwell we have a system to direct the water deep down into the soil to the roots of your trees where it's needed most. But watering takes time. So municipalities across North America, Europe and Australia are now saving time and money by using Greenwell Water Savers for newly planted trees. So why don't you dig the easy-to-install recycled plastic rings into the soil around your young trees? Then each week you can fill the rings with up to 50 litres of water and that water filters deep down into the root system where it is needed. Think of Greenwell Water Savers as your insurance policy for young trees. Learn more at greenwellwatersavers.com.
5: If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Allura, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Tree Nursery. Call us today.
3: If you're listening to this show you are passionate about fruit trees but do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family owned business and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars like Wolf River an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red fleshed apples like Pink Pearl as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca.
0: Hi everyone, it's Susan Poisner from OrchardPeople.com. If you're listening to this radio show, I'm guessing that you want to be knowledgeable and confident in fruit tree care, and I'm here to say that I would love to help you with that. You can check out my premium online workshops at OrchardPeople.com, and I'll teach you how to prune your trees, how to feed them, and how to protect them from pests and diseases. Because you're listening to this podcast, you can go to orchardpeople.com slash workshops and use the promo code podcast to get 10% off any of our courses or bundles. That's orchardpeople.com slash workshops and use the promo code podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board right now, send us an email. Our email address is in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. Susan Poisner.
0: You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award winning Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In the show today, we've been talking about soil bacteria and other soil microbes. In the first part of the show, we talked about how these soil organisms support our plants and trees by converting orba- organic matter in the soil into plant accessible nutrients. And coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about the types of creatures, the fauna that we find in the soil, and the role that they play in keeping our plants healthy. My guests on the show today are both from the University of Guelph in Ontario. They are Knowledge Mobilization Coordinator, Cameron Ogilvie, and Canadian Research Chair in Environmental Microbiology of AgroSystems, Carrie Dunfield. Now, before we dig in, I would really love to hear from you. If you're listening to the show live on Reality Radio 101 or on Facebook Live, you can send us in questions for the guests. Uh, so just email your questions to us or your comments or just write us to say hi, And if you do, we're going to enter you into today's contest to win this month's prize, which is a University of Guelph hat and gardening trowel valued at $25. So send us an email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com. And be sure to include your first name and where you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And we really look forward to hearing from you so carrie we were talking earlier we talked a little bit about bacterial and bacteria in the soil and we talked about fungi and the difference but i understand that there's a lot more creatures in the soil or organisms in the soil than that can you tell me about another for instance organism that we might find in the soil yeah there's
3: uh like Cam said, there's a whole uh world down there. The soils host, um a quarter of the world's biodiversity. So there's tons of different types of organisms there. Um and so mostly the bacteria and the fungi are the smallest organisms, but they there's many organisms that feed off of bacteria and feed off of fungi that are really critical, play a really critical role in what we call the soil food web. So as um so they are feeding off of each other. So for example, uh, one would be, uh, springtails or and they are, um, little microfauna that, uh, eat, uh, m- mostly plant material. And so they're also really, really important in this, uh, carbon sequestration or converting organic matter into, uh, nutrients that are available for plants another the, um oh sorry, go. I
0: just want to ask about the springtails because I know because you mentioned to me springtails are one of your favorites. you mentioned <laughs> well, why so do you cute. like them? They're cute.
3: <laughs> they're cute, but they also play um, a really important role and they actually they're also really sensitive to things like pollution and uh, and so that's it, they can be an early indicator of soil pollution and soil health so, If there's springtails there, they're very sensitive. So it's a really good indicator that you have a healthy soil system. And we actually use springtails as a toxicity test because you know that they can't survive uh, pollution very well. So they're indicators of that. So that's one of the reasons they're really useful and really a neat organism.
0: Oh, I, I want to learn more about springtails. They, they sound <laughs> cute and we've got a, I've got a picture of them I'm going okay. to share later. Um, we have uh-huh. a message here from Brent on Facebook and Brent says, Brent wrote us earlier. He says, there has been a long debate uh, between mycologists if there is enough minerals in the soil from sand, silt and gravel or do you think it needs rock dust to replenish the minerals? The mycelium break it down and feeds it to the plant. I want to hear what your opinion is on that.
3: I believe it depends. I think what we're talking about is probably um, access to nutrients. So the way that we get nutrients in the soil is by breaking down uh, rocks and converting to forms that are available to plants. So they need to be in a soluble form so plants can take them up. And so, especially around phosphorus, phosphorus is, bound up a lot of times into what we think of as rocks. And so um, mycorrhizal fungi or other types of fungi can also, can be really, um, have an important role in releasing that phosphorus from bound up as rocks and and make it available in soil solution. So then the plants can take it up. So uh, I think that's what we're talking about here. And that's, uh, they, they do have a really important role in some soils um, in releasing phosphorus from from mineral form,
0: I think also what Brent is mentioning is you can buy a product called rock dust okay, right. so it and it promises to be bringing like x amount of minerals into your soil so the question is is that are you wasting your money? Does your soil have enough minerals and we just need the soil organisms to break it down or do we need to buy a product called rock dust? dust.
3: (laughs) I, I think that uh, it's going to depend on your soils because some soils, if they're very sandy, especially if you want to grow, if you're growing plants that need a lot of nutrients, you might need to add some type of fertilizer. And so uh, in those soils, then you would uh, one method is to add like a rock, a rock phosphate or a rock dust into your soils. And then you're counting on the microbes to be able to break it down and be able to make it available to the plants. So it's yeah. a combination.
0: You can't, you need the microbes there. Um, too. We talked about fungi and we talked about bacteria. Is there lots more that we will find in the soil? Maybe give me another family of fauna that we would find in our soils.
3: Well, i I was thinking one thing that you might be interested in is, uh, Actinomycetes, which are kind of a thing that's a, a hybrid between a bacteria and a fungi. So they they actually are what causes when you smell soil. There's that 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 when you think of what soil healthy soil smells like, that's actually uh, actinomycete population in your soil. So that's what causes that smell. And so they look like little um, organisms, and they kind of make hyphae like fungi but they're actually a type of bacteria so they're a really cool organism and they are responsible for that soil smell that you smell when you're smelling a handful of soil
0: so now let's we've been talking about these very tiny tiny creatures now how on earth do you actually see them can you (laughs) uh take some soil and put it under a microscope and then you can see what they look like or how does that work
3: You can do that. um, But actually, what we do is use uh, their DNA. So we use a like molecular fingerprint, like you would if you were going to fingerprint, you know, a DNA fingerprint for someone. And so that's how we study the organisms. And that's really necessary. And that's one of the reasons why soil biology has become so uh, much more understood in the last 20 years because these methods have been available that we can now study them and and be able to track them in the soil and understand what they the organisms that are
0: there. So you're saying that you get them, you know, not necessarily, you know, from the microscope uh, image. Uh, I saw an image of like, um, you know, taking. Maybe you can describe to me how they take the sample in a. Well, you can explain better. You know what I'm talking about.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what we, my group is really interested in what the organisms are doing in the field. So um, not necessarily what they're doing in the lab, but what they actually are doing when they're out in the field and they're interacting with the plants. And so in order to do that, what we do is go out to the field and grab just a small amount of soil. You actually don't need hardly any, you need 0.2 grams of soil because there are so many organisms in there. And uh, we put it into a little tube and then we take that tube and we freeze it in liquid nitrogen um, in the field. And so that captures the organisms exactly how they were when they were in the soil. And so then we can study them and, uh, and understand what they were doing in the, in the field.
0: And what were they doing?
3: <laughs> well, we're really interested in things like um, how much nitrogen uh they're exchanging so we look at things like nitrogen cycling and uh, organisms can produce greenhouse gases so we're interested in that kind of stuff we're really interested in phosphorus solubilization so that's the transfer of organic phosphorus to plant available phosphorus so and uh, those types of things that's what we're we mostly are looking at so lots of nutrient transformation
0: So we have an email from Dan from Toronto. I know this study has been applied to large scale farming, but can this also be applied to a more urban type of raised bed? Have any studies been done on this? I ask because there are more people growing food in a controlled type bed.
3: Yeah, I I believe that it would work in a raised bed. And I think that it's really, um, it would be a neat experiment to do. And I think it would be really cool to transfer it to uh, an urban agricultural setting. Um, and the Agricultural College at Guelph, we are realizing how important urban farming is for feeding uh, people. And so I think that's one of the things that we're really interested in is moving into learning more about urban agriculture. And so, um, yeah, for sure. If people are, are gardeners at home and they want to try to study their microbiology, this would, I think, be a really good way to start that and just see what's going on in those beds.
0: And I would just want to chime in and say, please do it, everybody, and send me before and after pictures. You know, um, I would love to, you know, do a blog or an article about what people's findings are, especially if you're an urban grower. Let's see what what's happening in our urban soils. So I would love to see your pictures. You can send them to info at orchardpeople.com. And that would be fantastic. I think
3: in a raised bed setting, you actually have a really cool ability to do an experiment because you could add, you know compost to one and not compost to the other. And you can just test out like what's working better. Do you see differences? And so you have a really cool opportunity to do some neat experiments in your garden. So,
0: and by adding compost, are you, you're, you're adding food for the biology and the soil, but are you actually adding biology as well? Are you adding, tell me about that.
3: Yeah, you definitely are adding both. So, um, you're adding the nutrients, you're adding carbon, and then you're also adding kind of an inoculant probably of some microorganisms that come from that compost and are being added to your, your soil. So you don't necessarily need it because you have um, you don't need that inoculant necessarily because you have organisms already in your soil, but um, it's, it's a good way to get a stimulation of, of the microbial community there, so.
0: I know there's also a lot of excitement around new products that are actually uh, biofertilizers. So um, can you explain to us what, what a biofertilizer is and how or whether it can help our gardens? Yeah, well, biofertilizers
3: are actually just it's um, short for microbial-based fertilizer. So um, it's just replacing chemical fertilizers with a biological, uh, like a microorganism. And we think of them as being new, but actually I think the first one was from in, uh, released in the, the 1895, which was a, a rhizobium. So we've known about uh, or microorganisms that can provide nutrients for a long, long time. But um, there's just been a lot of more popular, um, a lot of products recently that people have been using and it's gaining a lot of popularity. Um, if you think about environmental impacts of chemicals, um, one of the things is kind of replacing those impacts with a microbial uh, fertilizer might be uh, good, better for the environment. So I think that's why they're gaining popularity.
0: And do they work? And and what is it? Is it is it frozen or I guess dehydrated uh, organisms that somehow come back to life when you pour them in your soil? <laughs> Well, it depends
3: on the organism. So uh, some of them have worked for a long, long time. So rhizobium is an example where um, it can take nitrogen from the air and convert it to a form that's available for plants. Um, It only works with certain types of plants. It has to be a legume. So that's uh, one limitation for that. But there's other nitrogen-fixing organisms that don't need that association with plants. Um, It depends on the product. So one of the things is, does the, do the manufacturers of the product, do they guarantee that the organisms are alive and are they in a form that they're going to grow and survive, you know, the commercialization process? And so those are the things that the the manufacturers have to kind of consider and and, um, you need to know that the organisms are still alive when you're putting them in the soil or else they're not going to do anything for you.
0: And so that's a really good question. So I wonder if here in Canada or in the United States, if, if you, um, if they have to prove, like, can, can I just put together, you know, some white powder and say this is microorganisms for your soil and, or do I have to prove that that white powder is actually living microorganisms that it will help your soil? Are there rules about that? So there's in Canada there's different rules in Canada and the U.S. But in Canada
3: um, we they are they do regulate microbial inoculants under like a fertilized, the Fertilizer Act. And so for Rhizobium, for example, they have to prove X number of viable particles per gram of inoculant. So if you're buying something like that, I think I would be you know looking on the bag for something that says you know that this guarantee of viability,
0: because you want those
3: organisms to be able to live.
0: So people who are listening to this, like me, I just, it's just like bottom line, I really want to have happy microorganisms in my soil. I really do. I've, I'm kind of thinking that I need to be nurturing the soil rather than the plants, and that these microorganisms will do everything for me. (laughs) But help me help me to get there. So if I can't pour it out of a bottle, um give me uh you know summarize a few different ways. And I know that Cameron did that earlier, but what is the most important way that we can help support these microbial populations in the soil?
3: Yeah, so what that's exactly it. I think the microbes are there and you just have to nurture them. And so that's way unless you have a problem soil that doesn't have a lot of microbes for some reason you can probably just use techniques to nurture your own microbes. And those microbes are already adapted to your your system. And so that's probably the best way to get a healthy microbial population. And what we're looking for, and what we mean by healthy is usually biodiverse. So you want a bunch of different kinds of organisms. And so the ways to do that is um, a lot of times adding diversity above ground. So if you have So in agricultural systems, we say crop rotation or adding cover crops or a different type of plant. So it's not just one monoculture. So if there's a way that you can add a cover crop or added some type of different plants into your system, that's going to, each of those plants is going to feed a different microbe. And so you'll have different types of microbes there and that's what you want. Um, And also anything that puts organic matter and organic, back into the soil. So keep your plant residues on the soil for as long as you can and get those nutrients mixing into the soil. Um, Those are all good things. Minimizing tillage. Tillage is tricky for microorganisms because like Cam said, you're usually turning over the soil, especially inversion of soil. If you can, you know, just if you need to till, if you can minimize like soil just being completely inverted, that's going to make a big difference in your in your, your microbial population.
0: Cameron, I wanna ask you, having worked with farmers, what do you think makes the biggest difference in terms of improving the microbe population in the soil?
2: Yeah. Uh, I, so I don't think that there's going to be one solution that fits all cases. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think it really starts with a commitment from the grower Um, And and then they will find solutions that work for their system, because I think we really do need to acknowledge that that one farming system is not the same as another. So but but to think about general practices, let's just compare crop rotation to cover cropping, let's say. So with crop rotation, this is really dictating the the main crops that are being grown for the majority of that growing season. And cover crops are really just being fit into the shoulder seasons. Um, you know, if, if you're planting them after corn, you've got from, let's say, late October into the time that you plant uh, some crop next season. And so there's there's less growth that happens with those cover crops. Tremendously important, but there's less growth. And so I'd say prioritize getting a good crop rotation in place. And a good crop rotation will have a greater impact on your microbial population than, or your microbial community than cover cropping. Though cover cropping remains incredibly important.
0: So it's amazing. So it's, it's biodiversity, it's organic matter. One thing that I've started to think about is watering, which I can get really lazy about. And I think, Oh, you know, it'll rain in a few days, but something that I learned, I, I don't know if it's true, but um, the fact that many of these organisms need water in order to move around and slosh around in the soil. So if I'm not watering, I'm not nurturing those populations. Is that correct?
3: Well, they, they can get by. That's true. Uh, They can get by with very little water probably too. So because they can live like they live right in the middle of those, Soil aggregates so they can access water so they don't dry out as quickly. But for when, if you want a population to grow, then they definitely need water. So that's something that you can think about. The one cool thing about microorganisms is some some of what they do for plants is actually help make them drought resistant because they're so small, they can access that water that's trapped in soil aggregates that the plant roots can't access. So they can actually help uh, plants acquire water when in drought situations.
0: Until now, we've been talking about the good guys, uh, the good bacteria, the good fungi. So are all uh, microbes in the soil good guys or are there some bad guys as well?
3: Well, I I like to focus on the good guys, but (laughs) there's definitely... Um, you know, there's definitely plant pathogens, there's definitely um, bacteria and fungi that can grow on plants, and that's what they do. And, um, and so, you know, if you think of there's billions of microbes in a gram of soil, or billions of types of bacteria and fungi, you can name probably a dozen or so pathogens that are really key in to orchards or key, um, have key economic impacts. And so, they're very important to study and important to control because obviously they have a huge economic impact, but the, you know, the numbers of them, there's a few bad guys, I think in the the whole world of good guys out there. So you
0: like the good guys. Why why do you, okay, (laughs) but we're going to wrap up. We have to have uh, our contest in a minute, but why do you love soil microbes? Why do you spend so much time studying them?
3: Oh, I just, um, I think they're, they're just involved in so many things like you don't even really think about that it's a microbe that's driving these things they're they're honestly regulating like climate change by the greenhouse gases and they're they're feeding they're driving uh, plant yields and they're holding your soil together they, they just have so many really important roles and we just don't really think of them as playing those roles and so that's why i think they're so important to study
0: And what about you, Cameron, with the work that you've been doing? um, Why do you feel that this is such an important thing to put a stress on?
2: Yeah, I I think, for me, it comes down to the fact that uh, that soil is not dead, it's alive, it's very much alive. And, um, and so we can think about soil as as another living organism, maybe even of itself. And, and that, living organisms, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that they share in common. And um, yeah, so I think that really elevates the way that we think about soil and soil management, that it's not just a dead substrate that you're working with, but it's a living being and, and, and we need to feed it uh, in the same way that we are leaning on it to feed us.
0: Exactly. Which goes back to what my introduction, so I'm not getting a dog I don't know if you guys have dogs and cats. My pets are my soil microbes. What about you guys? Do you also have dogs and cats? Or is it just soil microbes that have your heart?
3: <laughs> we have a lot of dogs and cats in this house too, but uh, we, we definitely think about soil microbes and my kids think about them. So uh, they draw me little bacteria once in a while. So I think that uh,
0: <laughs> we know about them and talk about them a lot. <laughs> Cameron?
2: Yeah, yeah, no dogs are, uh, are pets for us.
0: What, what about pet microbes?
2: Oh, oh, definitely pet microbes.
0: Te- definitely pet microbes. Okay, that's perfect. Just like me. Okay, so now let's go to Gary in the studio because it's time to find out who won our contest.
1: All right, so, so I have the bucket of names. I will shake that bucket and let's have Gary tell us when to stop and then I'll draw a piece of paper out of that, okay? Okay. So, here we go.
3: All right, stop.
1: All right, stop. And let's see what (laughs) we got here. And the winner is Paul from Comics Valley in British Columbia.
0: Yay. Yay! Good job, Paul. That's wonderful. So, Paul gets the hat. And the trowel, I'm a little jealous. I need a new trowel. You know why? <laughs> I need a new trowel because I have one bed that has nasty bacteria in it. I have a bed that raised bed with crown root gall. Yes. And so <laughs> I don't want to put my trowel in there and then put it in another bed because it might could bring the, the gall into the other bed. Am I right, Carrie? Good. Is this good for me to be cautious?
3: Yeah, you
0: can move it around so you can...
3: It'd be best to have different equipment for, for that bed and everything else. Or you can sterilize
0: it, I guess. With ethanol. <laughs> I suppose. Okay. Okay. So the moral of the story is most soil bacteria and most microbes are good, but you sometimes get the meanies out there. So, you know, yeah. just be but careful and You can't and forget cautious. about it. Yeah. You can't forget about the meanies. <laughs> all right. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I I really appreciate you spending time and bringing some clarity to what's going on under our feet and the importance. And I really want to thank all the people who sent in questions today um, to ask you questions. Any last words before we wrap up? Why we should love our microbes?
2: It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us.
0: Yes, exactly. Thanks
3: for paying attention to them. We're always trying to tell everybody that soil is alive so it's great that people are listening to that yep
0: oh wonderful well thank you so much for coming on the show so that's it for today's episode of the urban forestry radio show if you like the show please do go to itunes or wherever you got your podcast from and rate and review it that would be super helpful and if you want to listen to this show again, or download other episodes, you can find them all at orchardpeople.com podcast. If you're ready to learn more about how to grow fruit trees organically and successfully, then you can check out my premium online courses at orchardpeople.com workshops. As a show listener, you'll get 10% off the price of any course by using the discount code podcast. I'm Susan Poisner from the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. And thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month. Take care. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month, and each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to OrchardPeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at @urbanfruittrees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again.